Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. I'm uh, Mike Rutledge. I'm the director of arts here. I'm really looking forward to sharing with you uh, today. And, um, you know, when you ask people about money and giving, you're, there's no shortage of opinions as to what the right thing to do is, right? <laughs> see lots of uh, different ideas around it. And uh, like David was saying, we're in a series called First, and we looked at the making uh, prayer a first priority. We're, we're just looking through Scripture, finding things that we're commanded to do as first actions. And prayer was the first week. Last week, we talked about seeking Him first. And today, we're looking at the priority of stewardship in our lives. And uh, I have to, I, again, I want to tell you, I'm, I'm really excited. I actually requested to teach on this one. I, uh, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to sharing with you. And I, I, the reason is because I believe that this principle of understanding scriptural stewardship is pivotal in your relationship with Jesus Christ. It's, it's just a key thing for us to understand. And I, I also believe that God desires, I want you to hear, if you walk away with one thing, I want you to hear this, that God, I believe, desires for you to receive something today. And what he wants you to receive is when you understand stewardship in the proper context, you understand it's more for your own good than giving to the church. And I, I just want to say that when, as, soon as, I, as soon as I said we're talking about money, as soon as you heard that, I know many of us, our hearts kind of shriveled a little bit, you know? Um, you know, your finances may be not in the way you want them to be, maybe struggling with that. And so just even talking about finances can be difficult at times. Uh, or, or, or you may have a skepticism about the church. Oh, clearly the church needs money, so they're going to ask me for mine, right? And let's, let's be honest. It does take money to run a church, okay? So I don't want to act like, oh, we don't need your money. We, we, you know, we pay electric bills and so on too. So, but, I, but I want us to understand that that's not what I want us to hear today. I want us to understand that, that stewardship in the proper biblical context may be one of the greatest things that can help us grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, uh, as I was... Think, uh, getting ready for this message. I came, actually, before that, I came across this message. We've been talking about this in, uh, in management team. We came across this message by this guy, Robert Morris. Now, Robert Morris, you may or may not have heard of him. He's a pastor at a church in Dallas, Texas. Uh, the, the church is called Gateway. And um, he says that this message is the most important message he ever gives. And I want you to understand, their church is 14 years old. And in 14 years, because of his teaching on stewardship and because people understand stewardship, every single month, that church gives $1 million away. That is absolutely life-changing. To understand that a $1 million a month goes out of that church. You know, and it's based around this principle of first, putting God first in your life and first in your finances. You know, Jesus even said in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And many of us quote that backwards. We say, where your heart is, that's where your treasure goes. Jesus didn't say that. He said that where your treasure is, your heart goes. What does that mean? It means your heart actually follows your treasure. And when you begin to invest in something, your heart starts to care about it. If you invest, how many of you have investments? You don't have to raise your hand, but if you invest if stocks and bonds or if you put money and stuff, you care about it, don't you? And that, that, that kind of makes you ask the question then, so what if, what if we put our treasures in the kingdom of God? What would happen to our hearts? And this principle of first runs all throughout Scripture. And I want to start by looking at and understanding 
the principle of firstborn. And if you uh, have your Bibles, you can follow along the scriptures. They'll be up on the screens. We also have uh, U version. It'll be on your phones if you want to follow that way as well. But I want to just dive into Exodus chapter 13, and I want to read some stuff to you, and we'll talk about it here. On understanding the principle of the firstborn. It says this, The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. It's mine. The Hebrew language used in this, it is mine. It is a very strong, very emphatic language. It's mine. I own it. It belongs to me. That's what God is saying. The firstborn. Jump down to verse 12 of the same chapter. He says this, you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. Or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. That just means you're going to lose it. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. Every firstborn of a man among your sons you shall redeem. So there's two concepts in this passage. There's the sacrifice concept and the redeem concept. And so there are three points I want to talk with us today about. And the first is this. So I would encourage you to write this down. The first is this. The firstborn must be sacrificed or redeemed. Now, so the, you have these two, two concepts of sacrifice and rede- redemption, and how do you know which one to do? Well, when you look at the animals that are represented in this passage, you have first, oh, and I just need to tell you this, this uh, uh, along the lines, uh, most of this stuff, I, I, this is not stuff that I thought of on my own. I'm taking this from, a, from an outline, Robert Morris, that I talked about. This is largely the, a message he gives that so well speaks to what we believe here at K2, and I just want you to know that so you don't go, hey, wait. Robert Morris is stealing Mike Rutledge's message. That's not what happened. Anyway, so there are two animals that are represented in this passage. There is the lamb, which represents in, in Jewish uh, religion, the clean animal. And it says that that animal must be sacrificed. And then you also have the donkey, which represents the unclean animal. And that animal has to be redeemed with the sacrifice of a clean animal. So how does this relate to us? Let me ask you a couple questions here. As humans, people, spiritually speaking, are we born clean or unclean? Unclean, right. If you don't, you don't believe me? Parents, raise your hand if you had to teach your kids to be disobedient. Right. See, we... We're born with a sin nature. We have a bent towards sin. We have that. Let me ask another question. Spiritually speaking, was Jesus born clean or unclean? Clean. He lived a sinless life. So how does this relate to us? Well, the clean must be sacrificed for the redemption of the clean. Jesus Christ, born clean, was sacrificed for the redemption of all of us, the unclean. You can think of it like this, that the firstborn represents the tithe in Scripture. Jesus was God's tithe to us. Why? He gave, he gave him first. He didn't wait for us to get our lives all straightened out and organized and then go, okay, now, okay. But at, when we were far away from him, when we were sinning, we were cursing him, we we're spitting on him, we we're nailing him to the cross, right then, that's when God said, that's the time for me to send my firstborn. And we love him because he first loved us. Jesus represents God's tithe to us. And when we get paid, what we do 
is we give back to God the first and say, thank you, because without you, I have nothing. You know, it's, it, I, I talk to people on a fairly regular basis, and it sort of makes me, I feel sad about this, because I think that many of us have a skewed understanding of the tithe and the concept of the tithe. And a tithe is really simple. It's a Greek word. It means 10%. It's what we give to God. But so many of us have, have a, what I think is, is a misunderstanding or missing the point about the tithe. I, you know, people will say things like, well, uh, you, you know, the tithe, was, that was an Old Testament principle. That was in the law. You know, the commandments, that's Old Testament. So I, I, we live under grace now. We don't live under law. Uh, Jesus Christ came now. We live under grace. And so the tithe is an Old Testament concept, to which I will say it is in the law. And it is an Old Testament concept. I, I'd like to point out not murdering is an Old Testament concept. Not committing adultery is an Old Testament concept. Not bearing false witness is an Old Testament concept. How ridiculous would it be for me to say, listen, I live under grace now. I can murder. I can commit adultery. I can lie about you. See, we wouldn't believe that for one second, would we? See, this, but but some, for some reason when it comes to tithing, we want to segregate that idea and go, well, that's Old Testament. I don't have to live by that. But let me, let me just tell you, not only was it in the law, it actually predates the law. It was before the law. Genesis chapter 14, verses 18 through 20 says this. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God most high. And he blessed him and said, blessed be Abram of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he, Abram, gave him, Melchizedek, a tithe of all. So you see, clearly in this passage, the concept of tithing is already understood in this scripture. And this predates the law by about 500 years. And you can find another passage, you find many more, Genesis 28, where Jacob commits to tithing one-tenth of everything he has to God. It's 400 years before the, before the law. But not only does it predate the law, not only is it in the law, it extends beyond the law. And let me ask you a question. Maybe don't answer this out loud. But if you heard, if you knew that Jesus Christ himself said to you, you should tithe, would you do it? I would hope the answer is yes, but I think for many of us, we might have to still struggle through that. And I want to show you that Jesus Christ does, in fact, tell us we should tithe. Look at this. Matthew 23, 23. Jesus talking. He says this. Talking to the scribes and Pharisees. He says, What do you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites? For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. Those you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. So what's he saying? He's saying, hey, you guys. You're tithing even down to your spices, 10% on, the, on these spices. And you're forgetting justice and mercy and grace. Then he, what does he say? These you ought to have done. What you ought to? You ought to have tithed because tithing is the right thing to do. But don't forget the other things. And, uh, you know, some people say, well, I think he's actually, it's the other way. He's saying you shouldn't forget you know, you ought to have done justice and mercy. Okay, either way, because he's saying, but don't forget the other, right? So clearly, Jesus is saying the tithe is what we should be doing. 
It's, it's kind of interesting. I grew up, my dad was a pastor for a lot of years in my youth, and people would come up to me and they would say, uh, this, I got this all the time. I, 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 first of all, I never understood the intrigue around it, but they would say, so what's it like to be a pastor's son? And, uh, my, you know, so if, if their dad was a doctor, I'd be like, I don't know what it's like to be a doctor's son. I mean, I don't know what it's like. <laughs> it's all I know. But Robert Morris was telling uh, about his daughter and uh, people, people uh, he, uh, she was dating this guy. And so they were kind of saying, hey, so what's it like to date the pastor's daughter? <laughs> you know, and uh, they were joking with him. And they, they go, man, he's so strong on tithing. I bet he checks your uh, tithing records. And they're all laughing. And the daughter goes, yeah, he does. <laughs> and Robert Morris says, and I do. <laughs> and then he continues. He says, let me, let me, let me put it to you this way. If, why, why would I give my daughter to someone who can't handle their finances? Because if they can't even handle their finances, I know they can't handle my daughter because she's a handful. <laughs> and he even goes on a little bit further and he says, and don't be offended by this, but God's word, Malachi chapter three says, if you don't tithe, you're stealing from God. Why would I give my daughter to a thief. It's really interesting when you read through this Malachi 3 passage, and if you want to do a fact check or you want to read this in your own time, Malachi 3, uh, chapter 3, verses 6 through 12. I encourage you to read it. I don't have time. But basically what happens is he goes to the people of Israel and he says, hey, return to me. And they say, how do we want to return to me? And he goes, well, you're not keeping my ordinances. And what are ordinances? Ordinances are just uh, commands that are ordinary practices of, of your belief. He says, you're not keeping my commandments. And he said, well, how aren't we keeping your commandments? He said, well, you're stealing from God. Well, how are we stealing from God? Because you're not tithing. And you see from chapter one of this book, and actually when they, even when they did tithe, they tithe the maimed and lame and blind lambs. They wanted the leftovers to give to God. He says, you're stealing from me because you won't tithe. And it's really interesting. He says, you've brought a curse upon yourself. And the curse was actually a literal curse where the land was in famine. They couldn't grow stuff. And he says, test me in this. And this is the only place in scripture that I'm aware of where God says we can test him and it's with our finances. Test me in this. Return to me. Bring your finances and your tithes back into the house of God and you will see that I will bless you so that the storehouses can't even keep everything that's brought in. But you're stealing from me. And here's the cool part. What does God say? He doesn't say, well, you're done. I'm through with you. He says, no, return and the blessing will return with it. So the firstborn must be sacrificed or redeemed. Point number two is this, that the first fruits must be offered. Exodus 23, 19 says this, the first of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. A couple words I want to look at here in this passage. You shall bring into the house of the Lord. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say you shall give to the house of the Lord. He says, you shall bring. And I want you to understand, he never talks, there's ne in scripture, it never talks when it's talking about tithing about us giving to God. It talks about us bringing or giving back to God. You know why? Because you can't give what doesn't belong to you. You can only return it. The second thing, it says the house of the Lord or the house of God, and that tells us specifically, and this is just one example, there are many in scripture exactly what we're supposed to do with our tithe, that 10%. And it says to bring to the house of God, and the house of God is the church. 
And what's frustrating, maybe for some people, you don't get to say, I'm going to get 5% here and 2% here and 3% here. It says 10% goes to the house of God. Offerings are different. You get to do whatever you want. It doesn't, your, those 10%, it doesn't go to your missionaries and it doesn't go to your schools and it doesn't go to your needy family or humanitarian causes. It comes to the church. You know, it's, it's so, what's interesting to me about this whole concept is, is that so often we think when we take 10% or whatever percent we've decided we're going to give and we give that to God, we think we're giving him something rather than just returning it to him. I mean, let me, let me, let me put it, let me give you an example of this, how we think differently in, in, in other areas. So um, one of the things I love about being on an arts team is that there's such a great uh, community of, uh, it's just a very generous community. And it, it's kind of an odd week for me when I look up on the stage and I don't see someone playing someone else's instrument, right? The drums, as a matter of fact, those drums belong to Justin Lord. He's like, hey, I just want to leave these up here for the church. You guys can use them. And that's really awesome to me. But let, let me make an example. Tripp, who's playing play guitar this morning, he borrowed one of my guitars. He's like, hey, great. And he says, well, I'll bring it, you know, I'll be at church. I'll just give it to you after church. So imagine this. After church, Tripp comes up to me. He's got the guitar, and he walks up to me. He's holding it. He's looking at it. And he's sitting over here with his wife, Summer, so you can all look at him. He walks up with, his, with my guitar, and he says, Mike, Summer and I have been praying about this. We're going to give you this guitar. <laughs> I would say, I would say what, what do you mean, Tripp? What are you going to give me this guitar? Yeah, no, no, we've been praying. We... we we believe God is telling us to give you this guitar. I don't say, of course he's telling you to give it. It's my guitar. <laughs> See, what's interesting though, when we think about, it's, that's clear, it's obvious, right? But when we think about finances, God gives us all this and asks us to return 10%. We think that we're giving him something that he doesn't already own. Have you ever wondered why God accepted Abel's offering, but he didn't accept Cain's. Remember that in Genesis, very beginning? Well, I think it becomes easier to understand when we understand the principles of first fruits and firstborn. And incidentally, I'm going to look at Genesis chapter 4. Incidentally, this predates the law by about 2,500 years. But I'm going to look at Genesis chapter 4, picking up in verse 3, it says this. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock to their, and of their fat. And the Lord respected or received Abel and his offering. He did not respect or receive Cain and his offering. Huh. Well, why is that? Well, because I believe it has to be a first fruit. You look at this, the language in here, in the process of time, eventually, it came to pass that Cain brought what? An offering. An offering of the fruit of the ground. What, what, what did Abel bring? He brought the first fruit, the firstborn of his, he was a, when one was a rancher, one was a farmer. In other words, Cain brought what he wanted when he wanted, and God said, can't receive that. And here's what's interesting about it. It wasn't that God wouldn't receive it. It's that God couldn't receive it. See, there, there are some things, I don't know if you know this, but there are some things that God cannot do. He cannot act outside of his nature. Example, he cannot change. He's perfect. 
You can't change when you're perfect. You're already perfect. That's called the immutability of God. It's not like in the Old Testament, he was mean God, and now in the New Testament, he's nice God. He's God. Another example would be think. He can't think like you and I think. Because we think to figure things out, right? Oh, well, this would make... You know, nothing occurs to God. There's, there's never a time where God's up in heaven and goes, you know what I just thought? <laughs> it doesn't happen because he's omniscient. He knows everything all the time, always. But another one is that he can't be second. This is called the preeminence of God. He is higher than all. He's above all. He's first of all. He's before all. And we talk about putting God first in our life and in our finances. These, these are, it's a great uh, concept for helping us understand lordship in our life, what it means for him to be Lord. But please hear me. Even though he may not be first in your life, he is still first in the universe. And he couldn't accept Cain's offering because it wasn't a first fruit offering from his heart. It was him giving what he decided to give to God. So the firstborn must be sacrificed or redeemed. First fruits must be offered. And the third point is this, that the tithe must be first. And this is a pretty simple, uh, pretty simple because the tithe belongs to God and he is a first God. Look at Leviticus 27.30. It says this, and all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. Tithe must be first. It's the first thing. So let me, let me just uh, let me give you another example on this one. Just imagine that uh, you, you got paid $1,000, all right, uh, for whatever, I don't know, for work, maybe it's your paycheck, whatever it is, but you received $1,000 and they paid you in, in $100 bills. Right? So you have 10 $100 bills, right? It's $1,000. You have that in your hand. How do you know? Well, the, first of all, what's the tithe of that? How much is that? 10% math? 100 bucks. 100 bucks. So one of those is, is the tithe. How do you know which one is the first? First one you touch. It's the first one that leaves your hands. It's pretty interesting. Because what we often do is we take our $1,000 and we pay our mortgage and we pay our car payment and we pay our credit card bills and we buy groceries and we get shoes and we go on a date and we go skiing and then we go on vacation and then we go, I just, I just don't have money for God. And here's the problem. What we did is we just gave our tithe to the mortgage company. And the problem is that the mortgage company can't bless your finances. And God can See, and so often we have nothing left for God. And what we say in that moment when we spend it on everything else other than God, what we say is, God, you are less important than all these other things. It's more important that I go on vacation. It's more important that I get new shoes. It's really interesting, again, that Malachi 1, they're giving, the land, they're giving the leftovers, and God just says, I can't receive it. And here's what I would encourage you guys to do. And here's, the, here's what I want you to understand about this principle, that the tithe must be first. It's 10% off the top. And when your tithe comes in, what Susie and I do, and I would encourage you to do this as well, we just have it automatically go out of our paycheck. We never even think about it. It's the first 10%. It never happens. And, it, and it's just not, it's, we don't even figure that as part of our money. It's not ours. It just goes. And, and, um, I, I would say this, um, 
this is, you know, so you, you may do check, you may do however. I, this is not a legalistic thing, right? What I'm, I'm not saying, you know, so if you haven't tithed and you're, you know, if Susie goes to the grocery store and she buys groceries before the tithe goes in, oh, great, Susie, we're cursed now because you bought groceries and they don't have my tithe yet. Nice job. But this is about the heart, and it's about understanding that that money should never be figured into something for me. It's God's already. It comes off the top. Take it out of the equation, whether you do it electronically, whether you put cash in the bucket, whether you, whatever. Just understand that 10% never belonged to you. And to receive God's blessing, the 10% comes off first. That's a first fruit. I want to look at uh, a New Testament passage. It's 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 and 2, and it says this. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must also, or so you must do also, on the first day of the week, let each one of you lay aside, lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when it comes. Some other passages say, in direct proportion, a percentage of what you earn, it's figured out and put aside so that it's ready to go. Now, the question is why 10%? You know, I, I, think, I think it makes sense why a percentage and e even 10%, you know, if it's, if it's a percentage, we're all paying the same relatively based on what we're earned. You know, it's a, it's a penny on every dime. It's a you know, dime on every dollar. It's the same. But why 10%? I think it's kind of interesting. One of the things I learned is so often in Scripture, did you know that 10 represents testing? Did you know that? Just do a little. I'm going to ask you some questions, and you guys give me the answers. So uh, in the Old Testament, there were the plagues. Okay, and that was, God was testing Pharaoh's heart. How many plagues were there? Yeah. Ten. And uh, he tested Israel's hearts. He gave them commandments. How many commandments were there? Ten. Ten. So you get the pattern. Okay, keep going here. God tested Israel in the wilderness how many times? Ten. You're, out loud. How many, the number of times that Jacob was tested by his wages being changed? Ten, Ten right. The number of days Daniel was tested? 10. Number of virgins tested in Matthew 25. Days of testing in Revelation. How many disciples? No, 12. 12. <laughs> Seeing if you were like just kind of on autopilot there. <laughs> but so I think, I believe that testing, 10, the number 10 actually represents a testing principle. And remember in Malachi 3, he says, test me on this. And what I believe is this, that every time we receive a paycheck or money that comes into us, God says, not I'm going to test you. He says, test me. See if you believe that 90% plus my blessing is greater than 100% outside of my blessing. And we get a test, and I believe that may be part of why it's 10%. I want to look at uh, just one other passage as we close out this morning. Exodus chapter 13, verses 14 and 15, and it says this. So it shall be when your son asks you in the time to come, saying, What is this that you shall say to him? By strength of hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And it came to pass, when Pharaoh was stubborn about letting us go, that the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all males that open the womb, but all firstborn of my sons I redeem. What's he saying here? He's saying, so in the Old Testament, they would sacrifice lambs. 
and they would redeem their unclean with the sacrifice of a lamb. They would redeem their sons with the sacrifice of a lamb. Incidentally, that's why Jesus is called the Lamb of God. He says, eventually, your son's going to see this happening. You do this right in front of them. You sacrifice in front of your family, and eventually your son's going to say, hey, Dad, we're farmers, and you have sheep, and every time one of them has a firstborn, you kill it. Can you explain that to me? That doesn't, that's not good ranching sense, you know? I just realized I started counting. You, you, you killed 72 this year. That's a lot of mutton, right? And so can you explain this to me? And it's, it's in that time that what the father gets to do is say, yes, I'd love to explain this. Let me, let me explain what's happening here. You know, son, we weren't always ranchers. There was a time when we lived in bondage. Egypt had us. We were slaves. But by God's gracious love for us, he came in and he freed us from bondage. And now we're ranchers and every single thing I have is a gift from God. And I gladly give back 10% to say thank you, God, for everything you've done for us. And the same is true of our finances. You know, I know I work at a church, but if you know me at all, you know I am a sinner. And so are all of you. And Jesus Christ sacrificed his son, his firstborn, so that we could know him and experience his love. And he asked us to give back 10% from what he gives in recognition to say, thank you, God, for the great gift of love you have for me. Thank you. I'm going to ask you, would you guys do this with me? Would you close your eyes for just a second? Well, I want you to try and tune out because it's, it's hard sometimes when you're in a group. You, it, it can be really difficult to be distracted by everyone around you. But I want you to just close your eyes and try and tune everything out. And ask yourself this, God. Ask God this, actually. Well, God, what are you saying to me through this message? What are you saying to me? Maybe he's been talking about tithing or... Maybe, I don't know, maybe tithing's been a struggle for you. And just ask him, what is he saying to you in this very moment today, right now? What are you saying to me, God? And I want you to hear this too. Please do not feel any condemnation around your finances. John 3, 17 says, Jesus Christ came not to condemn us, but to save us. You should never feel condemnation when you come to the church. Never. He sent his son to save us. And the reason he reveals something to us is so that our, it's for the good of our own lives so that we can change. And he loves us. It's for our good. Many people say, you know, I'd, I'd, love, I'd love to tithe. I just, I just can't afford to. And I just want to humbly tell you, I don't believe you can afford not to. According to scripture, you'll never be able to afford it until you start doing it. It's important to understand that tithing removes that curse that we, we, we fall out of God's blessing when we, ref, we refuse to give our tithe to God. Many of us are living under this blessing and our way to get out and get under, back under God's blessing is by tithing. And he asks us to bring the first to him so the rest of the world can be redeemed. Today, my challenge to you would be to ask yourselves or ask God, Lord, I want to receive you as not just my Savior, but as my Lord. And I'm just going to tell you this. We're going to take our offering and greeters. You guys can come forward now. Here's, here's something I want to throw at you here. 
So I, I get it. People are skeptical. They may have had bad church experiences or whatever. I, I understand that. I don't, I, I don't want to make little of that. But here's what I want to tell you. If you feel like this is a money grab or us just going, hey, we want your money. Okay, first of all, I think you haven't heard what I'm saying because I really believe, I started this message by saying, I believe that God wants you to receive something today through understanding biblical stewardship and the blessing that is associated on your life with that. But if you're skeptical, I would say find a church somewhere else and test God in this. Go, take your money, go to that church, attend that church and give them your 10%. And test God to see if it proves to be true. And if you leave this church, don't keep tithing us. Tithe to the church you go to. Test him in that. Will you guys pray with me? Jesus, we thank you for your love, for your grace. We thank you for sending your firstborn and only son to die for us as the clean sacrifice to redeem us, the unclean. Your love is great and deep and much, much more than we can ever comprehend or fathom. I pray that we would just understand what you desire for us, how you desire for us to grow in our relationship and understanding of knowing you by bringing back to you what you've already given us. Receive this offering as a first fruit, a tithe for your glory and for your kingdom. We ask this in your name. Amen.